Well, good morning. My name is Jeff Tebalt, pastor of Marriage and Family here at North Bible Church. It's a privilege to be able to share with you this morning as we are coming to a close of our theme, The Upside Down Kingdom. And uh, it is, we've been teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, last week, Larry covered um, Matthew chapter 7, verses 12 through 14, um, this part of the Sermon on the Mount that's titled The Golden Rule. And, um, you know, uh, this whole idea of we're to treat others as we want to be treated. And, and these are similar words that we later hear in Matthew from Jesus, that you shall love the Lord your God. This is the greatest commandment, that you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, with all of your mind. And the second is just like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. And so we are to love the Lord and we're to love others. That is Jesus' message. And, and uh, last week, Larry ended with this uh, in verse 14, where Jesus acknowledges the fact that, you know what, living this way is difficult. It's like you're on taking a narrow path when it'd be much easier to take the wide path. Eugene Peterson, um, a really a wonderful writer, has a book called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. And, and he, uh, um, in the intro of this book, deals with this this battle that we have of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus and what it takes to really follow him and the commitment that we need to make opposed to to follow the ways of the world, which um, really uh, are are much easier. And so he, he writes this, he says, one aspect of the world that I've been able to identify that is harmful to Christians is the assumption that anything worthwhile can be acquired at once. We assume that if something can be done at all, it can be done quickly and and efficiently. Our attention spans have been conditioned by 30-second commercials. Our sense of reality has been flattened by 30-page abridgments. It's not difficult in such a world to get a person interested in the message of the gospel. It is terrifically difficult to sustain the interest. Millions of people in our culture... Millions of people in our culture make decisions for Christ, but there is a dreadful attrition rate. Many claim to have been born again, but the evidence for mature Christian discipleship is slim. In our kind of culture, anything, even news about God, can be sold if it is packaged freshly. But when it loses its novelty, it goes on a garbage heap. There is a great market for religious experience in our world, There is little enthusiasm for the patient acquisition of virtue, little inclination to sign up for a long apprenticeship in what earlier generations of Christians called holiness or discipleship. And so Jesus ends the Sermon on the Mount with um, three points that he wants to make. And we're going to cover the first two really quickly Um, And then we're going to move on to our passage. But in verses 15 through 20, Jesus gives a warning. He says, beware of the false prophets. These are uh, wolves in sheep's clothing who may come to you and teach things other than the truth. And you'll eventually know that they're false teachers because of the fruit that they'll bear. And he uses a word there, beware. And that, and that word is not a one-time beware, but it literally means to keep constant watch for. To, we're to keep constant watch for potential 
wolves that may be trying to teach us things, people that might be trying to teach us things that are not of him. And then in verses 21 through 23, uh, Jesus has some very strong words for those wolves and for anyone else who claims to be a follower of Christ but have not committed themselves to Jesus. These are pearly gate kind of words. That's that first encounter with the Lord after we die where we are held accountable for what we did with what we knew. And Jesus makes it very clear in verse 23 where he says, And I declared to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. So some very, very strong words. And then Jesus ends with this parable. The parable of two builders, a wise and a foolish builder in verses, uh, in chapter 7, verses 24 through 27. But let me pray for our time before we move along. Lord, we come to you this morning um, as we look at your word. Lord, this is a part of the, the Sermon on the Mount that um, has, pretty some, has some pretty strong um, words to it. And, and Lord, I pray that your spirit would... Um, interpret for us, Lord, for each one of us, that um, if this is a, a time when we need full understanding, then give understanding. If, if uh, you need, uh, someone needs comfort, Lord, that you would use this passage to bring comfort. Um, Lord, if someone um, doesn't, uh, has never really fully understood or, or made any kind of move, um, Lord, and, and what they understand is the gospel, Lord, I pray that that would happen today, that there would be decisions made. Lord, we just lift this time to you and praise in Christ's name. Pray in Christ's name. Amen. So let's look at verses 24 through 27 of Matthew chapter 7. So everyone who hears these words of everyone then who hears these words of mine, so he's reflecting on the words that he's been speaking to them. And if he does them, he will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came. And the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does, and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. And so our passage today is about two builders who... Uh, build two houses on two different foundations who encounter one storm that ends up having two very different results. It's the tale of two builders where Jesus teaches the, the point of this is that the foundation on which we build, that's the issue here. And there are three points that, we can, that we're to consider as we look at this passage. The first is, what are the similarities between these builders? And secondly, what are the differences what are the contrasts of these builders? And then finally, what are the consequences based on their decisions? And so let's look at the similarities that both men heard the words of Jesus. As far as we know, they, they both heard the message of, of faith and repentance, and, and they had some understanding of the gospel and what it meant to follow him. And, and so uh, both made a decision based on that. And secondly, both men built a house. Each person built a house based on their understanding. And this house is, 
in this parable is a picture of a life. And so this life is representative of their, their understanding of the gospel and what they're going to do it and, with it. And each man built a life based on their response to the message of Jesus. He makes no mention here of, of the quality of the materials. This isn't like the three little pigs where one of them built his house with straw and the other built his house with sticks and the other with brick. Uh, that's not um, the point here. Both of these builders use the same materials as far as we know. The important thing in this parable is the foundation. And then both houses encounter a severe storm. As far as we can tell from the passage, it's the same storm. We can assume then that they were built in the general same area. They both had access to solid ground or sandy ground, and they both made their choice. But one did not determine the other's choice. And so the point of this parable is how people respond differently to the gospel which is, as Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day. That is the Gospel. That is what we, as believe, we must believe in order to be saved. Salvation starts with faith in Jesus but it also involves repentance of sin, a surrendering of our will, and a yielding to the lordship of Jesus Christ in our lives. And so both people hear the gospel and both build a house based on their response, uh, but let's look at the differences. One man built his house on the sand, and uh, this, you've, you've probably all been to the beach and, and built a, a sand castle, and the great thing about sandcastles are you, you don't need much to do it because the sand is so easy to form. The bad side is, as soon as a wave hits, your sandcastle is gone. Well, for, to build a house on that wouldn't have taken a lot of preparation. Just simply smooth out a little area of sand and you could begin building. There's no digging required, just level out the sand. And sand, as we know, is unstable. It's ever-shifting. And it's always moving. Building on the sand speaks of people who hear the gospel, and choose to build their lives on the shifting sand of earthly wisdom. Building on the sand speaks of people who hear the gospel and reject it. They hear the gospel and they may believe its general message, but they choose to live their lives not accustomed to it on their own terms. A life built on sand requires no commitment, no sacrifice, and no faith. Sand foundation, people love the mountaintop experiences, but they curse God when life gets difficult, and they tend to blame Him. They are hot, and then they're cold. They think depending on God is a crutch. Sand builders, regardless of how they disguise it, are those who have not put their trust in Jesus. The other man builds his house on the rock. And the word rock here uh, refers to a large outcropping of stone, or literally the bedrock. And so this builder dug down until he reached the bedrock. And when you build on the bedrock and you pour a foundation, 
your foundation for your house literally becomes part of the bedrock. So building on the rock speaks of people who hear the gospel and they believe it to the point that they make it a part of their everyday lives. The rock in these verses refers to these words of mine spoken by Jesus in verse 24. And so the rock is the gospel. It's the same rock that's used, that word, in Matthew 16, 16 through 18, where Jesus asks Peter, Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. In this passage, rock refers to Peter's profession of faith in the words of Jesus. Rock refers to the gospel. Rock builders understand that Jesus alone has the power to save their souls. Rock builders hear the word and they strive to conform their lives to it. They hear words like from John 14, 6, that I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, and they receive it in their hearts. They hear words like from John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And it moves them to the point of surrender. Jesus' words penetrates their heart with absolute clarity, and they yield to it, and the message of the gospel transforms their lives. And so these are two people who live very different lives. Both have the same gospel, one built on solid foundation of the, the bedrock and the other of the sands of uh, shifting sands of religion and, and earthly philosophy and good works and self-will. And so now let's consider the consequences. The parable tells us that the, the rains fell and the, the floods came and the winds blew. Now this image isn't of just a, a storm that might hit us in our lives, although it can apply to that. Um, this is an image of, of judgment, another uh, pearly gate kind of experience, if you will. Uh, the moment when our earthly body is gone and that we're held accountable for how we responded to the gospel. In the end, both houses were subject to this fierce storm of judgment, and it was a big test. Storms tend to test foundations, don't they? We've all seen footage of horrible storms or, or a river going over its banks and taking away homes. That's the idea here. Storms tend to do this. And at this point, it's too late for the sand builder to move his home to a solid foundation. So the house built on the sand is totally destroyed. And Jesus says in verse 27, and great was the fall of it. And so this house, this life that's represented here, there's nothing left of any hopes or any dreams or, or plans or works or effort or anything. It is completely 
gone. Everything is destroyed and swept away. And this is what the Bible describes as hell. It is living an eternal existence away from our Creator. And I know those are strong words, but they're important for us to understand because they are final words. The house that was built on the rock experienced the same storm, but that house remained standing. It may have been shaken, but its foundation remained true, and it did not fall. This house stood because it was built on the word of God, and so the wise builder entered God's kingdom for eternity. God does not accept sinners into his kingdom based on good works or good intentions or religious efforts. God accepts sinners into heaven only when that sinner is in a faith relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Those are important words for us. And so, one of these houses describes the kind of life that each of us are building. Do you get that? We're, we're all building a house. Who or what is the foundation of your life? Who or what are you building your life on today? Are you building your life on the solid rock of Jesus, or are you building your life on shifting sand, things that can be taken away? Do you know where you stand. And I wrote down some things here that I think are pretty typical for people to uh, assume that they may be on solid uh, ground but are not. You know, going to church does not necessarily mean that you built your life on Jesus. Being raised in the church does not mean you're automatically in his kingdom. We can even live Christian principles without truly surrendering to him. So whether you build your house on good intentions, earthly wisdom, human philosophies, atheism, or anything other than Jesus, when you stand before the Lord, his response will be the same as it was in verse 23. I never knew you. Depart from me. But if you confess with your mouth, that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that Jesus raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And so if you're here this morning and you're building your house on the wrong foundation, you know what? You can make a change today. That can happen today. And some of you may be here and, and just feel like, you know, one, you never surrendered your life to Jesus, but, and you've got your reasons why, um, and you may just feel like you're just not good enough. Maybe you feel like you can't be good enough to earn God's love. and well, That's not what it's about. You may be here today and just feel like your life is in shambles. You may be here today and your house needs a lot of repair. Um, and you kind of don't want to deal with it. You might be experiencing a lot of brokenness and, and maybe you've done things that you're ashamed of and you just can't imagine that God would want a fixer-upper like you. Well, you know what, I, you're right, I, I don't know everything about you, but I do know a lot about him. 
And I can tell you that uh, I've experienced not only the joy of his saving grace and mercy when I first came to him some 40 years ago and submitted my life to Christ, but even more in the last 40 years of experiencing his love, grace, redemption, and his mercy. And at a point in my life, I was a complete teardown and rebuild. But that's what the Lord wants to be doing. That's what he is about. He is in the business of restoring those who are broken. Or you may think that you're doing okay without God. You may be a very capable person, and you've got your house in order, and it, and it looks pretty good, and, and you've, you've figured out... Um, when, when the storms are coming, you've, you've kind of got your way of boarding up the windows and, and getting sandbags and kind of protecting from um, those things that might damage your house, your life, um, and you've kind of figured out a way to do that um, on your own. And, and you might even be really good at, at decorating the outside um, of the house to make sure that no one thinks there's anything wrong with the inside. And, and you've got great curb appeal on your life, if you will. You've got a great big red front door, and so everyone thinks that's a great house these days, and, and, and yet inside you're dying, and you know you, know you are, uh, but you've got to keep working on the outside to make sure no one figures it out, because then you might have to make a decision and do something. But remember, none of those things matter if your foundation is built on sand, for you will fall. And so whether you think your house is a fixer-upper or all tidied up and in order, um, he's inviting you to surrender to him today. And uh, you know, no matter how long you've built, been building your house on the wrong foundation, no matter um, what you think about that or that, that he would never want a fixer-upper like you, no matter what you've done or, or what you've become or... Um, you know, you can experience a complete heart makeover today. I love the passage in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed. Behold, the new has come. That, my friends, is good news. Regardless of where you are at today, the old has passed. Behold, the new has come. That is available to us today. He will save you and get you firmly established on the right foundation. And so there's a storm coming, and your house is right in its path. And when that storm comes, the only houses that will be standing are those that are on the firm foundation of Jesus Christ. That's what this message is about. And if you know that you've built your house on something other than Jesus, I'd really like you to consider surrendering to him today. Now, I realize many people in this room have already surrendered your life to Christ, and, but you might be here feeling like you're going through a big storm right now. You might be dealing with some stuff personally or with your family, and uh, you may feel like you're in the middle of a storm and, and um, that your house is being shaken. You know, and the, the, the shutters might be flapping and, and you've got, you know, you've got stuff flying off your roof of your home and, and it's falling apart on the outside and it's a wreck on the inside and the, the winds are blowing through and you don't know if it's going to stand. 
You might be struggling financially. You might be struggling in your marriage or have a sick loved one. You may feel lonely. You may just feel like you've got the floods that are pressing in. You know, I, I've been spending some time with a, a good friend of mine that <clears throat> I've known for 20 years, and the entire time that I've known him, he's had um, been dealing with brain cancer, and the last six months he's really gone downhill. And so I try and spend uh, parts of my Friday with him, and his name is Rod, and um, he's now he's in a wheelchair, he's in a home, and really can't talk. And so my time with Rod is is um, is interesting because I, I go there wanting to encourage him and you can't help sit there and be with him because once he, he really can't talk and so it's not like we have conversations it's more I've just kind of learned a rhythm of I just go because he, he knows my family he loves my family he loves you know the Lord and I tell him about stuff he just likes to hear what the Lord's doing and and so he just nods his head a lot and he smiles and you know and I usually go wrestling with how can I encourage Rod today um, and he's got a wife and two kids, but I always come away with him encouraging me. And that's because he has his foundation is firmly on the rock of Jesus in the middle of going through a storm that has been lasting 20 years for him that is now coming. At some point, uh, this will take his life, um, but yet he is standing firm on the Lord, and he encourages me. And I have another friend that... Um, couple weeks ago had to have a really really difficult meeting with and he's um, he and his wife have years of absolute mess going on and that all came to light a couple weeks ago and so I had to sit with him and to basically say I know everything there's no hiding it and change is going to happen and we're going to make that happen and you can either do it willfully or um, not willfully but you will eventually make a choice here and it's now been two weeks of the Lord slowly bringing some restoration to his wife's heart and to the kids and, and to him and he's in full agreement now and just watching because they are firmly planted on the, in the Lord and but yet and the Lord is now doing some restoration and they are recognizing that and they're leaning into that now and it's because of the firm foundation of Christ and so this passage and, and many others assures us that as we encounter storms, and yes, we may be shaken, but if we are firmly planted in Christ, we will not be taken. The Lord will sustain us. And in fact, not only will the Lord use that, but he will use it as a blessing to others. And so regardless of the storm that we're going through, not only will he help us go through it, but he will use that to strengthen us. So we can be encouraged by that 